I'm not saying that you should go buy properties and you know put your 25% down, get leverage and cash flow negative every month. That that's not a sound investment. But if we can find you opportunities where you're getting it at a discount and it's cash flowing from day one, and eventually rents are going to go up. So every year of your ownership, you're going to make more money on this investment. And it's again, the rents go up, the prices will come back. You found the Real Estate Law Podcast because real estate is more than just pretty pictures and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast. Thanks again for listening to us. This is Jason Youth here. My voice, Rory, is finally starting to come back after an unknown reason as to why we lost it. Maybe I just talked too much last week. What do you think? Usually is what that's what does it, then you lose your voice all the time. So I don't know what the, what the issue was last week. <laughs> you know what? I must have a lot to say. Uh, but you know, I'm not going to talk much in this episode because we have a fantastic guest on right here. We have the CEO of Agents Invest and multiple other companies, which will have Jennifer explain all the different uh, lanes of people that she's speaking with, with all of her business enterprises. As we're recording this, she is prepping for an amazing conference that's coming up. So this will have come out after the Cashflow Investing Summit which I'm sure will have been incredibly successful. This is Jennifer Beatles. Welcome, Jennifer, to the podcast. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Rory. I'm so excited to be here with you all today. Jennifer comes to us from sunny Arizona, which is much warmer than where we're sitting today here in Boston and Newburyport, Massachusetts. Yes. Every day is a sunny day here in Arizona. And I think it's, it's going to be maybe 70 today. So we don't, we don't get much of a winter. I think, uh, you know, now we're well, January 31st. So we had maybe two weeks of winter getting into spring, which I'm super excited about. That's great. You know, I'm hoping that all the agents on my team are listening today because we have um, a really good topic and that's um, working with having agents work with investors and why they should be doing that, how they can do it well, and why that's going to be an important part of the business. But before we get there, I wanted to ask Jennifer just about how she got to where she is, because you know, you're know you running multiple businesses in real estate, and I'm sure that's exactly how you started off um, as soon as you graduated high school, knowing that you're going to put together all these different endeavors. Yeah, I actually I had no idea or no, I, I couldn't have dreamed up this lifestyle that we live today, the businesses that I own. And, and so it's just been a very exciting ride. Really, so I got involved in real estate at 21 years old, and my first involvement was actually buying my first property. And this was 2007, and I didn't have a whole lot of options at that time in terms of properties to buy because I wasn't making a whole lot of money, and you know, property prices were pretty high back then. I guess relative to today, maybe not so much. But I bought a property that was a complete fixer-upper, and the reason why this property was attractive to me. For whatever reason, I recognized this at the time that the land was zoned multifamily. And I knew that if I could buy this house, live there for a year, put a tenant in there, then eventually I could scrape that thing down and build some, you know, townhouses was kind of the dream at the time. And so I closed on that house. And then the day after I closed, I quit my job and decided to go all in in real estate. And so what I did is I had applied to a couple of local developers. And and again, I kind of wanted to realize this dream of eventually tearing this thing down and building some townhouses. For two years, I worked with the developer and we were doing um, a lot of different things. You know, the market had shifted. We were building spec homes. We were also building small multifamily properties. 
And then it was like late summer, 2008. We all, I think if we were around back then, we all remember what happened. Market crashed, blood in the streets. Everyone was really concerned about what was going on. Banks were going under and it was not a good time in the market. It's not a great time to be in real estate at all. And so I saw some very interesting opportunities as a, as a younger person. I thought this is my time to acquire properties at a discount, an extreme discount, what I felt at the time. So I decided to get my real estate license so that I could get the commission check on any properties that I would buy. I guess zero knowledge about what I was doing, zero intentions for actually working with clients. And then in the first six months though, that I had my real estate license, I closed six homes. And I said, huh, there's something to this. <laughs> this is pretty good money. It's not very difficult work. Maybe I should get involved in, in real estate sales. And so at the time I saw this opportunity to work with clientele that had similar personality traits as me, very numbers driven. I'm very systematic, very non-emotional about the properties. It either makes money or it doesn't. And so I found that there were, you know, this niche in working with investors that also felt the same way. You know, it's not about, oh, the kitchen looks really nice and I can see myself living there for 10 years. That type of clientele isn't really, wasn't really the, the personality style for me. I'd probably, you know, not enjoy working with those clients and they wouldn't enjoy working with me either. And so, so from there, I kind of turned into this agent that was out there sourcing and trying to find deals for my clients. And I worked with a number of real estate investors. One of my clients at the time, he was worth about a hundred million dollars. And I would go to the foreclosure auction on his behalf every single Friday bidding on properties. And we were just acquiring any and all properties that we could, because again, a certain number of us that saw the value in this down market. And so um, I was able to close as an agent, as a solo agent with an admin and a transaction coordinator between 75 and hundred properties a year, just working with investors. And I probably had 25 clients that I was working with that were kind of, you know, buying here and there. So I built a really large, when I say large, I guess a scalable and, you know, large transaction volume as an investor agent at the time. And then along the way, now I was recognizing that the more income that I made as an agent, the more I was paying in taxes. <laughs> and of course, we all know one of the major benefits of owning investment properties is you get the depreciation. We can do cost segregation studies we can write off between 25 to 30% of the purchase price in year one and essentially get our income tax rate to close to zero as possible. And so I started building up my own portfolio. And so my husband and I, we have about 280 units in eight different states. We wanted some location diversification there. And so, so anyways, for about six years, I operated as an investor agent. And then I, I just got a little bit burned out and I decided mm -hmm that I wanted to help my clients get into more markets as opposed to just Seattle. So then Agents Invest was born. I developed a referral network of investor agents all across the country. And now we have these investor clients that we can help, again, build location diversified portfolios in multiple different markets. And it's really exciting to kind of be the person that connects and helps agents build their business and then helps these investors get into other markets that they wouldn't otherwise consider. We've heard on the podcast, you know, the 2008 crisis as being a real turning point for just about everybody in the real estate space. What I like about this story is you 
ran into the disaster. You know, we've heard very few people who got their real estate license in and around 2008 and then built a successful business in that. So even in that environment, you found an opportunity. And, you know, what I want to ask now is, you know, before we go into, you know, what you've built now for businesses in those stages, what did you do to connect with your potential client base? And what did you do to educate yourself on all the different aspects of investor ownership? It's a great question. I think the most important thing is I get confidence in the numbers. And so at that time, the media, the messages in the media was don't buy real estate. Real estate prices are going down and you're going to lose money and it's really risky. And, And so I would say the majority of the population did nothing. They did not purchase properties because they were listening to the media, which is kind of what we're experiencing today, right? The media puts these negative messages out there. Consumers listen and do nothing, sit on the sidelines. And then later they say, I wish I would have done something, right? And so um, the message that I had for these investor clients was, this is your time. This is a great opportunity to get into the market. I only want you to buy deals that cash flow. So I'm not saying that you should go buy properties and you know, put your 25% down, get leverage and cash flow negative every month. That that's not a sound investment. But if we can find you opportunities where you're getting it at a discount and it's cash flowing from day one, and eventually rents are going to go up. So every year of your ownership, you're going to make more money on this investment. And it's again, you, the rents go up, the prices will come back, they will appreciate again. And then you get all of these tax benefits along the way. And so for for even the new investors, they understood that. And I demonstrated how this would look from a number standpoint. So a lot of investors, at least in my experience, do they tend to be more technical people who are also numbers driven, right? And so when I could explain logically the opportunity and then demonstrate that through the numbers, and have confidence in doing so, then they understood and they said, okay, let's, let's do it. Let's go for it. Over, you know, over the past 14 years, we've had a lot of different changes in the marketplace and kind of the, the opportunity that was served up almost in a silver platter back in 2008 to 2012 um, has changed and it's shifted. Uh, What's the opportunity now for investors in the market? Oh, I feel like there's a really short window right now where you know there's still some fear in the market. So when the interest rates had gone up, we could say doubled really mm-hmm. in a year, that took a lot of would-be first-time home buyers out of the market and put them back into the renter pool. And we have seen uh, uh, cap rates go up and prices come down. And we're also seeing less competition for properties as compared to the last two years. A lot of the properties that I was writing offers on, there would be multiple offers, even in the apartment complexes. And people are putting down hard earnest money, $50,000, non-refundable earnest money. It's really difficult to compete with that. And right now, and again, I feel like there's a very short window, right now there's less competition. The prices have come down. And yes, the interest rates are higher. So it's a little bit more difficult to get deals to cash flow when the interest rate is six or seven, as opposed to three or four. Um, however, the interest rates will come back down. What I've, what I've learned over the last 15 years is the market is, you know, there's cycles. Um, anytime the government wants to stimulate the economy, they bring the interest rates down. So if you can get into a deal or you can help your clients get into deals right now at a lower price, 
and they cash flow from day one at today's interest rates, they're going to be an even better deal when you can refinance and get a lower interest rate. And again, the rents are going up. We're also seeing some trends of, I think the first time home buyer age is going up, is increasing because it's getting more expensive to get into your first property. So we have uh, an increasing demographic of renters and then the rents are going up or we have a supply and demand issue. So there's all these trends that are in support of owning investment real estate and making it really make sense from a long-term standpoint. But I think the key is that agents and their clients need to be thinking in the long-term. We need to be thinking about decades as opposed to months. And I think sometimes the the residential agent mindset is I need to make commission and I'm thinking in like three months chunks and they're kind of operating their business in that way is how can I make money in the next 90 days versus how can I build a client base of repeat customers who are going to buy multiple properties every year and how can I help them scale their portfolio and be the agent that does that for them? And then I'm also going to take what I've learned from these clients and apply it myself work with a lot of agents and there are a lot of brilliant agents in the market who are really good at selling residential real estate. As you kind of alluded to early, earlier, earlier, asking people to imagine what it's like to live there, pointing out the great amenities and the pretty fixtures and everything like that. And there's a market for that and there's a real skill in doing that. But there's just a lot of people who work in that space. You're starting to get into the conversation now. Why should an agent who's an expert in that space, pivot away and start looking at rental properties and start looking at homes more as numbers and serving kind of a different whole client base? Mm-hmm. I think that repeat clients is mm-hmm. one. So I would say on average, uh, the residential client is going to sell every five to seven years, potentially. An mm-hmm. investor, a great investor that you're able to help you know, scale their portfolio, they're going to buy multiple properties every single year. And so if you can work with fewer clients and clients who are loyal to you, and clients who don't need to sleep on it, think about it, drive by the neighborhood and have all of these like emotional decisions to make on a property and acquire these properties. Again, I, I feel like that's a more sustainable business. You're going to work fewer hours, fewer clients. Your lead generation expenses are going to be almost nothing, right? It's very easy to find these investor clients because very few agents specialize in this niche. And so you also have less competition. And so really the conversation turns into, does this cash flow or not? Does this make sense for the client or not? And again, that's an easier decision to make for the clients versus, again, the emotional decisions that they need to to go through. When you coach agents to work with investor clients, are they finding people new to the investor game or are they becoming the agent of an existing investor who is now switching from an agent that they've worked with in the past? I would say both. Um, You'd be surprised, agents listening, how many investors are currently in their database. They're just not having those conversations. And so the first conversation you need to be having is talking with your existing client database about adding at least one more rental every single year. One rental property for done over, let's say, five, 10 years is going to completely change your client's life. We're talking paying for college for kids. We're talking about building your own retirement plan. We all know that Social Security is going to be out of money in 2035, right? There's a big problem that is happening in the United States as far as these trends, again, of the baby boomers and retiring and Social Security. I mean, there's, I don't want to say that there's a grim future ahead of us, but for 
for, for those of us that don't have other income streams coming in that are passive, that are not active income, um, it's going to be difficult, I think, moving into the future. And so just by having that conversation with your clients, helping them again, get one rental property a year, one rental property a year will completely change their life. It'll completely change your business as well. You help 50 clients buy one rental property a year that are probably already in your database. That's a significant business. We'll be right back. Every other real estate rental property deal analysis spreadsheet is wrong. The only spreadsheet that correctly analyzes your real estate deals taking into account reserves, true cash flow, including depreciation, and your true net equity on a property is the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet from the Real Estate Financial Planner. Download a free copy today and finally start analyzing your rental properties correctly. Go to refp.info forward slash free to download it today. Yeah, you know, one article I read yesterday was about a new term that I hadn't heard yet called quiet promoting. Mm. It's called quiet promoting, where basically people who are W-2 employees are getting more work thrown their way without more praise, more money, or a title or promotion. And I actually commented on that because I think that's a function of, you know, the companies they're working for um, making some poor decisions with their business, or if they have to cut back, they're trying to um, you know, heap additional work onto the people that remain. And my comment to that was, you know, if people were diversified and had multiple income streams, they wouldn't have to worry about, is a company mm-hmm. going to lay them off? Or what happens when a company throws more work their way that they don't want to have to do? That commute they don't want to have to do to that job they don't like anymore. You know, if they did have additional income streams, they wouldn't have to worry about that as much. And you bring up the whole, you know, I think you said 10 properties, right? Send 10 investment properties. You know, we, we actually set that goal back in 2016 for us. You know, we're not, we're not at the 300 level that you're at. Um, we're at the seven level. Uh, but you know, we have six investment properties along with our primary home. And the goal was one per year for 10 years, just to see how Mm -hmm. that goes. Mm -hmm. And we've stuck to it. And now you look back at it and you say, okay, that was a really good idea over these past six years. You know, what would happen if we scale that up a little bit? You know, mm-hmm. those are probably the types of investor clients that the agents you're coaching are are thinking through because what I get is once you do it once, you want to do it again. Yes. And then when you do it again, you want to do it again. So if you find some of those people that have that mindset, you know, that could be a really good partnership for the agents that you're coaching and their clients. 100%. That's why we named our investor community Addicted to ROI because most of the investors in our community, they do not buy just one investment property and stop there. Most of them are coming into our community and they're building at least six figures in revenue in the first 12 months. And it's very, very simple and easy to do that once you understand how to play the game. And if you're the agent that understands the rules of the game and know how to play the game and are having these conversations with your clients, again, you'll have no competition. You'll have a very consistent revenue business. It doesn't matter what the market's doing either. That's Mm -hmm. the other thing. We have investors that buy when the market is high. Right. We have investors, it maybe call it a seller's market. We have investors that buy when it's a buyer's market. Mm-hmm. It's it's always a great time to great to buy a great deal. And so the agents need to think about that versus um, you know, really being, I think, just kind of having to shift with the market. If you can stay stable and steady and working with investor clients, 
then it doesn't matter what the market's doing. You know, what I'm really interested about here, I mean, like talk about one more trend that is changing. People are living longer, right? So they're yes. keeping their primary homes longer. There's less inventory going on the market because, you know, mom and dad's house isn't getting put up there as frequently as they can. I mean, you know, my parents are still alive. They've been in their house for 50 years, five zero. Like they've, it's been the only house, not the only house they've owned, but the only house that I know. Um, and that's happening across the country. So if we're not building enough and people aren't selling enough of their homes because they're living longer, well, then, you know, we do have a little bit of a problem right there. Mm -hmm. um, but with that said, as people are thinking about how do I start investing in properties and who do I work with to invest in properties, uh, you know, talk a little bit about the types of clients that your agents will be working with for that first time. Mm -hmm. I would say primarily it would be the W-2 employee that wants a plan B and wants to take charge of their own retirement and then eventually replace that W-2 income with rental income that's offset by taxes, of course. Yeah. Um, so in terms of finding these clients, my again, the first step that I would that I would take is start having those the conversations within your own database because these are people who you've already, you know, bought or sold a property with right? You have a level of trust, you have a relationship. And so start having those conversations. And then number two is every single agent needs to be hosting a monthly meetup. And so that is how I built my business. I would host a monthly meetup at my lender's office. He would provide the snacks and the food and, and he had a large office space. We would do a presentation. I would talk about um, something related to investing and then I would share the best deals that I found that month. And I would say, here's a duplex, here's a townhome. This is what the purchase price would be. This is what the rent would be. This is what this would look like. And I, I would say from every meetup, I probably write five offers. Mm -hmm. After that, people would come up to me and say, I want the townhouse. I'll take the duplex. And, and it's because there are no other agents in my market were doing this. And then the next thing that I did is I started teaching agents at my brokerage how to work with investors. And the interesting thing that happened is I thought that I was adding value and helping them. And what happened is they started referring all of their clients to me. They said, everything that you sound, said sounds great, but I don't think that that's for me. I'm not a numbers person. Can I just send you all my clients? That's how I got the client that was worth $100 million that would buy properties with me every Friday. He had called into the office. Another agent took the call and said, you need to talk to Jennifer. So I got a sticky note with his name and millions of dollars later, it was a, it was a client of mine. I'd want to ask you, you know, what should an agent do if they were interested in making the pivot to working with agents? But I mean, that's what you do and that's why you're here. So tell us a little bit about Agents Invest um, and what you do um, through that company. Yeah. So Agents Invest is our referral network. So we have our own brokerage, but we don't actually sell real estate. We don't have agents at our office. We only want to work with agents as uh, on a referral basis. And so what we do is uh, we, we have an application. Um, it's completely free to join our referral program. And we only take a, a referral fee once a transaction closes. Now we do it a little bit different though. What we do is um, when an agent makes an application, of course, we have a phone call and, and you know we kind of talk through the program and how it works. And then we have those agents submit deals to us in their marketplace. And then we share those deals with our investor community. And so it streamlines the conversation and the process so that agents don't 
you know, get flooded with maybe 20 investors that want to invest in their market and they have to go and service all those clients. Instead, we said, these investors, they're not, I, I would say, you know, really particular about the market they're investing in. They just want access to good deals and they want to build location diversification. They want to have some location diversification. And so it's really exciting. So um, I'll give you some examples. Uh, we onboarded a team in Minneapolis and they made $56,000 in commissions by joining our program just by selling deals that were in Indianapolis and they pitched them to our investors. The investors, you know, again, bought a number of deals from them. And then they decided after, after that, we don't want to work with regular clients. We don't want to go after, um, you know, regular buyers. We're not going to do open houses anymore and just went all in investors. And it's really exciting to see them build their business in that way. And so there's a lot of opportunity. Again, I think if agents consider this, um, to really do more transactions and again, work with the same clients and, and the lead generation is again, so, so much easier. And then on the other side, so what we found though, I think, uh, Rory and Jason, to your point is taking a, a residential agent and having them in some way that's learning a new language. It's the, the language that we're taught at the brokerage level of working with residential clients is very emotional language. You know, how do you feel about this house? You know, what do you see yourself living here for five, seven years, you know, raising your kids here? It's about the backyard and the kitchen and, and all of those things. And it's quite the opposite in working with investors. Um, and so what we did is we built a number of tools in support of agents understanding how to identify a great deal. And so that's called Door Profit. That's our that's our software. You can go in and type in any property address. If you find a deal in the MLS and you think maybe this could be an investment, but I'm but I'm not sure, um, you can type the address in in Door Profit. It'll give you an estimated market rent. It'll also give you a crime score, and it has a live calculator for agents to it. It just shows you all of the numbers, and if it cash flows and the deal makes sense then you can send that deal to your investor clients. And so we wanna help more agents understand how to find a great deal and what a great deal looks like in their market. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Alex Brayshaw. Join me as I celebrate the positive impact of business and what drives the people behind it. It's a chance to hear from business leaders, emerging sectors and industry influencers about their unfinished business in just 25 minutes. So we're recording this before your summit and we're releasing it after the summit. Uh, it's Cashflow Investing Summit that you're having in Tempe um, in February. Can you tell us uh, how that came together? Um, I'm going to assume it was wildly successful. So talk about the speakers that you have lined up uh, and the types of people who are coming to a summit such as that. Yes. So for the Cashflow Investing Summit, um, you know, the name says it all. <laughs> Again, uh, we're really wanting uh, investors and agents to be focused on properties that cash flow, right? That, that makes sense from a number standpoint. And so we're talking about everything from multifamily properties to short-term rentals. Um, we have investors that are doing adult family homes, um, some different niche strategies and they're essentially sharing what's working in today's market. And so it's really exciting to see people come in from all across the country. You know, Arizona, of course, is beautiful in February. So it's a great, it's a great place to be. It's a great place to, uh, to host this, this event. 
Um, and it's really exciting. I think any time that you can go full immersion for an entire weekend and talk about wealth building strategies, we have an attorney that's going to be talking about asset protection strategies. We have a CPA that's talking about tax strategy and then hearing all of these, again, different niche tactics that are working today. So it's really fun to kind of bring everyone together um, and just and network. Um, a lot of the people inside of our community in Addicted to ROI are also doing JV partnerships with each other. It's a great place to find partners, just connect with other people, um, learn about new markets. We've also, um, of course, offered an open invite to the agents that we work with to come out and meet the investors, talk about their market. Um, investors, of course, have a lot of questions around which which area should, it be, should I be investing in, uh, what's happening with rents, what's happening with prices. And so it's just really fun to just bring all those people together um, for just learning opportunities and, and wealth building. And your goal is to make this an annual event or is this a, has yes. this happened? It's been annual or no, this is the first one. Uh, this is the first one. We actually, uh, so we used to do these events where we would fly out to one of the cities that either I was invested in or we were doing a lot of transaction volume and we'd bring all of our investors in and uh, the agents, we do a city tour. So the agents would kind of explain, okay, this is, you know, the, the area to be in as far as owning investment properties. Uh, we'd go tour some properties, tour some apartment complexes and make it a, a little bit more um, city focused. And that was great logistics for us to plan events in cities that uh, that were not in a little bit challenging. And so instead, we said, okay, let's do an annual event here in in Phoenix and bring everyone together, bring the agents from those cities in, so that they can share about their market and so that investors can learn about different markets as well while they're there. And you know, I have a question specifically about our area. You know, we're here in the Northeast in Massachusetts, and a lot of times the Northeast feels like it's kind of excluded from a lot of these investment opportunities around the country just because, you know, it's not the heartland, it's the coasts, and everything is too expensive here and nothing cash flows and, you know, cap rates are, you know, not favorable for investors. Um, can you comment a bit on our territory, on New England, on Mass and New Hampshire, Rhode Island, this area, you know, do you have people that are in your network who are investing in this part of the country uh, or is it just too difficult? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think also local investors tend to want to stay local. California investors first want to look in California, right? And and same thing, I think, for, for your area. Now, in order to find deals that cash flow, uh, agents and investors may need to implement different strategies, such as renting by the room, maybe doing a short-term rental. I'm not sure what the rules and regulations are related to that. Um, but if I were an agent there, I would look into them and I would get very familiar with how it works and how I could potentially um, implement that strategy you know, to help my clients bring in more revenue. Um, I think the thing that, you know, the Northeast has going for it is the rents are very high as well. So, um, and they seem to be increasing in, and there's rent appreciation in that area, which means again, as an investor getting in, you know, day one numbers are, are, are going to look probably okay. And then year two, three, four, five, Jason, I'm sure that you've had that experience with your short-term rentals. It gets better every year. Yes. And so, um, I think that agents need to seek out opportunities, maybe also in the suburbs, where it's a little bit more affordable, the price points make sense. Um, you know, me coming from Seattle, we didn't necessarily we, we don't necessarily have a, a good transportation system. <laughs> we don't, you know, and Boston does. 
And so I could see some opportunities there, again, maybe in the suburbs where people would would be willing to commute into the city um, or also work from home. And so I think that there could be some opportunities there if agents really do a deeper dive and look into it. You know, you made a comment there about, uh, you know, right now the deal might not look, look as good as a little bit down the line, a couple of years down the line. Um, you know, our strategy of doing one every year for 10 years and kind of stacking properties is not a novel strategy. A lot of people do things like this. Yes. And I I look back and you're you're 100% right. I mean, our numbers for the those properties we did earlier on look much better now mm-hmm. than they did at the time when we were kind of learning our ropes, figuring out the properties, figuring out the right markets, you know, prices to charge, getting ADRs up, um average daily rates. Mm-hmm. And and now we're at the point that those look like fantastic deals that, you know, you can't get today. Yes. Um what were and then the, the the one that we bought last year, uh, you know, we bought an expensive property uh, with a DSCR loan, mm-hmm. and at a very high rate at the time the rates were highest. But mm-hmm. hey, what do they say? Uh, you know, marry the property, date the rate. Is that the is yes? That what you say? <laughs> yes. So you know, so I'm looking to when I'm going to be able to refinance that property, which won't mm-hmm. be for a couple of years. But you know, once we refinance that property, we could refinance it today if I wanted to, but you know, mm-hmm. not penalty free. So. Mm-hmm refinancing that property, it's going to be like, whoa, look at this. It's mm-hmm. either going to be a cash out. It's going to help cash flow. Uh, and if we could just kind of work up to that point in these couple of years, as we learn about that property, mm-hmm. that's how we're stacking these things together. You know, like yes. property one is well advanced. Property two is on its way. You know, this new one, we're figuring it all out. And you do need cash flow for these things. I mean, the one thing that we're collectively working through is now that rates are higher, you know, a lot of investors are probably, you know, feeling the same pain of like not being able to do these cash out refinances that they're used mm-hmm. to right mm-hmm. in a second. So, you know, mm-hmm. we're we're working through that um, ourselves. But, you know, as rates kind of fluctuate up and down, these are all, you know, it's part of the game. You mentioned the word game mm-hmm. earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you understand these rules of the game, which nobody teaches you. No. You kind of have to seek them out yourself and people like yourself mm-hmm. and piece it all together. Mm-hmm. Then you could be really far along and you could be have a super lucrative career and a great real estate portfolio mm-hmm. if you learn the tax strategy, if you learn the refinancing, mm-hmm. if you learn how to network, if you learn where to find the deals. Um, you know, but there is no one specific place you could find it all. And even the courses that you're doing and the, you know, the conference that you're running and you know, addicted to ROI, I'm sure that. Your investors in those communities are learning a ton. Yes. Um, and it's from each other, right? It's from asking yes. questions. It's from networking. It's from your resources. But, you know, it's certainly not from the university down the street. And to your point, you're 100% correct. Trying to find this information is very difficult. It's not taught at the brokerage level. As a, as a real estate agent, I, I was never taught any of this. I kind of had to seek it out all on my own. Um, and I consider it getting an MBA in real estate investing. And so if you if you think about it in that way, and to your point, Jason, if you can build a sustainable business with consistent monthly recurring revenue and also learn these tactics for yourself, and and I would challenge every agent to also buy one property every year. Right. And and then the other thing um, that I want to point out that you had had mentioned is, you know, you know, you, you buy a property and it looks OK, um, but in the, in that we're talking about the cash flow. But if you have clients that are high income earners that have very few tax write offs and deduction and they have a lot of money sitting in their bank account, I have clients like this who have over seven figures sitting in the bank account 
and they really want some tax write-offs and they want a safe place, safe, sure bet to put their money, then those are clients that you can really help, right? So, and they're not going to be as concerned about the cash and cash return and the cash flow because they don't need it. They don't, they don't need that money right now. But if you can help them get into these properties and again, you know, get some level of cash flow, get some tax write-offs and these properties, the tenants are paying down the mortgage, right? We don't even pay our own mortgages with investment properties. The tenants do. And then the rents are going up. And then eventually these are going to be very, very good long-term investments. We have a lot of clients that I helped years ago that had, you know, their comfort level was single family homes in Seattle. And then now they say, okay, it's paid down. I have a lot of equity. I'm going to do a 1031 exchange. We have, you know, we could get so many different tactics and strategies. 1031 exchange into something that produces more cash flow. And so they can take a single family home and go buy an apartment complex, you know, in the other side of the state, right? That has more cash flow. So there's so much opportunity and flexibility once you actually own the asset. But th- but it starts with buying and and doing as you as you had said, right? Build, building up that kind of snowball effect. So I have like maybe my one technical legal question kind of stemming off of that for the whole podcast. You know, when you're working with investors and you're getting into a lot of advanced strategies like cost segregation studies and 1031 exchanges um, and, you know, all the tax benefits and everything, is it the real estate agent's job to provide the education or give that advice or is their job to kind of to connect the investors with the appropriate CPAs, attorneys, um, third parties to to give the advice? So I guess what I'm saying is, the, is it the agent's job to be this the source of the information or the concierge to the information? The concierge to the information, 100%. So the other thing that I did is I built a vendor list for my investor clients. And I said, here's who I use for cost segregation. I always had three different options. Here's three different options for attorneys. Here's three different CPAs, home inspectors, uh, property managers, contractors. And so I would tell my clients that that I will give them an idea Mm-hmm. or a suggestion, and then they needed to seek out the appropriate professional advice from somebody who, who can actually help with that. So I'm glad that you brought that up, Rory, because um, that's very, very important. And I also had every single investor client sign a, a disclaimer disclosure on that. As I said, I'm not giving legal advice. I'm not giving um, tax strategy advice. I will provide you with a list of references and you can seek that out on your own, but otherwise that's that's on the client to go get that professional advice because everyone's tax situation is different, as you know, of course, mm-hmm. um, and same with legal, what might work for me might not work for the client. And so I, I don't want to go there. I just, I want to maybe give them an idea and say, Hey, you should look into this. Here's a list of professionals to talk to. Yeah. It's why the tile store down the street doesn't say, go call this guy to install. Here's a list of 10 different people. That way, you know, if the tile job doesn't go well, (laughs) it's not on them. Exactly. Well, and the other thing too, is you can bring these people in as guest speakers to your monthly meetup. Mm -hmm. So that would be an even better way to go about it is say, Hey, I'm getting a lot of questions about 1031 exchanges. So I brought my 1031 exchange intermediary on you know to a webinar or to the meetup to talk about this so that you can ask them questions directly. Yeah. That's awesome that you figured all this out so early. Like you started, you know, in your early 20s in this and you know we we moved out of a neighborhood in Boston, South Boston. I lived there for 20 years called Southie. And it's um 
you know, it's filled with 20 and 30 somethings. And like, I don't know. I just don't think any of these people know this stuff. Like even mm-hmm. the people in the real estate world, like it just, I, I don't know. And I'm typecasting them, but like, it doesn't feel like a conversation that was being had by people in their twenties. They were just going to the bars and trying to meet friends and hang out and, you know, build the social lives that we all want to have, you know, when you're living in a really cool urban environment like Seattle or like Boston. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, for you to figure this stuff out, then it, you know, it pays, it's like you're planting seeds and pays dividends for mm-hmm. the remainder of your life, you know, in your thirties and forties. And that's why you have something like addicted to ROI. Cause you got addicted very early to this, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah. And, and I agree. I think that there's so many different ways that young people, um, I mean, even people that are, you know, middle-aged, there's so many opportunities to get in. Um, and so I, and I love that South Boston neighborhood as well. I think that that'd be a perfect place to host a meetup, do it at a local bar, right. And bring people there and just start having these conversations. Um, you know, for those, I might say a house hacking strategy would be a really good strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, I've made over a million dollars tax free by living in properties for two years and then selling. Mm-hmm. and huge opportunity there. Now that doesn't create passive income. It creates one-time income, but you can use that one-time income to then go get you some passive income. Um, so again, that's another opportunity that I see very few agents talking about. Um, it's a little bit taxes, but there's an opportunity to get into properties, You know, even rent the rooms out so you don't have a mortgage payment, mm-hmm. fix it up, sell it in two years, take all that money tax-free and then go go get some investment properties. It, all the stuff you're saying, it's stuff that like, you know, when you meet somebody, even me, I'm not a real estate agent because Rory's a broker. I don't really need to be. But, you know, I talk about this a lot now as an investor and it's like you meet somebody for the first time and you want to tell them everything. You know, how do you like hold yourself back from telling them everything? Like, I think that like, sometimes I get animated and chat a lot about whatever the subject is, if it's short-term rentals or these tax strategies and like the looks I get from people are like, you need to slow down. I have no idea what you're talking you're talking about i usually ask them what their goals are for investing and then i direct the conversation related to their goals so if it's a younger person and they're like look i really want to own a house but i don't want to have a five thousand dollar mortgage payment how do i get into real estate um in a in a way that's not um setting me back financially and then i'll say okay you need to consider house hacking here are three different ways that you can do that would that feel comfortable to you you want to buy a house that has five bedrooms and you can rent out four of them to all of your buddies and that's going to pay your five thousand dollar mortgage payment and you know things like that then if, if i encounter other clients that are really interested they say where do i get started then i'll say okay well what's what's the what's the main objective that you have they say ah, I'm so, yeah i'm paying so much in taxes making a lot of money which is great i love my job I have no desire to quit but I'm paying a lot in taxes. Then I'll say, all right, here's what you need to do. If you, if you buy an apartment complex, because those kitchens, when it comes to cost segregation, mm-hmm. it's like $20,000, $30,000 kitchen, right? That we can write, mm-hmm. we write off sometimes. So, you know, I'll say, okay, strategy that I would suggest based on, you know, what you're hoping that investing will do for you is to focus on apartment complexes. If it's somebody who says, I, I'm on a limited budget, a small amount of money, you know, how can I get in? Then I'll say, okay, buy an investment property live there for a year, put minimum down, move out, then put a renter in there and then go do that again. So again, I, I, I guess I kind of feel like I'm always carrying around this uh, this tool belt with me, this imaginary tool belt. And so anytime I get into conversation about investing, it's okay, what, what are you looking to do? Okay, I have a strategy for that. Here are a couple options. 
Well, if, if you're still listening to this podcast and you have not signed up for all of Jennifer's groups and you're not in, <laughs> or applied to be an agent with an agent's invest, like, please go do that right now. Like, you know, we're going to do a final questions uh, and then have you, Jennifer, have a chance for you to say where people can find you. But we are going to link all this up in the show notes. So I know you have, right. you know, 74 different companies. You don't have to give every <laughs> single URL. <laughs> um but, uh, you know, we ask these three questions of all of our guests in the podcast, just as a way of, of wrapping things up and getting to know you a little bit more. Uh, the first of these questions is if you can get on stage for a half an hour uh, with zero preparation and talk about any subject in the world, what would that be? How to build seven figures in rental income in 12 months. 12 months. 12 months. A year from today, just after New Year's. Yes. It's, yeah. It's doable. You've done yes. it. You've seen people that can do it. 100%. Question number two, tell us something that happened early in your life or career that impacts the way that you're working today. Mm. First duplex that I bought, cash flow negative. And that was a terrible decision. Um, I bought the property for $425,000. It was cash flow negative about $500 a month. And then the market shifted and it went down to $310. So I had my first investment property was uh, underwater and cash flow negative. And, uh, and the reason why I bought it was um, everyone told me that you don't really cash flow real estate, that you buy it and it doubles in 10 years and then you sell it. And that was not my experience. <laughs> so after that, I said, I'm only going to buy properties that cash flow from day one. So what did you do with that one property? I had hold on to it for 10 years. <laughs> it did not double in value, but I made, I made, I made an okay return. Okay. But enough not to dissuade you from doing it again, because you must have been what twenty one or twenty two when you did that. I was right? twenty one years old. Yeah. Yes. It was. Saying, it was painful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to well, pay money to own a property uh, and and have it be worth uh, significantly less than what I bought it for. And you're just getting started in your career, and you're saying you're second guessing yourself. You're saying, "Have I have I made the right decision? Like, what's yes. going on here?" But you know, yes, to you for sticking with it. But I knew uh, that. If, but I knew that it was just it was. Uh, it was a, a lesson that I needed to learn about actually having criteria and investment criteria. And so I, I took that lesson and took the pain and said, all right, I learned the lesson. I'm not going to do this ever again. Well, you know, if you're not gonna make money on it, uh, at least you learned something from it, you know, so yes. at least there was some value there. Final question we have for you. Tell us something that you're watching or reading or listening to these days. Oh, all right. I read a lot of books. I probably read a book a week. So I am in love with Tim Ferriss. He's probably my favorite author. The four hour work week, I read, reread that every year. Um, it's all about optimization, systems and processes and efficiency. Um, I first read his book in 2012 and really subscribed to this idea of mini retirement trips. And so now my family and I, we travel for about 12 weeks a year. And it's been actually very, very good for business because anytime as a business, we're all business owners, right? Mm -hmm. And anytime you can leave your business for at least eight weeks at a time, if it's still standing by the time you come back, then you know that you've done something right. But there's always going to be fires. There's always going to be things that you come back to that you realize didn't go as well. So then you build new systems and processes and then you go test it again. And so that's what I'm, what I'm into for sure. Great. It's all a test and learn process. Everything is. Everything in life. Do you think we can take a week off maybe next year sometime? Can we do that? 
I don't know. Jennifer's taking, she travels 12 weeks a year. I think we could find one, right? <laughs> All right. Jennifer, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. We've really enjoyed having you as part of the episode. We'll have to have you back on uh, again because this is so much wisdom, I think, that you've shared uh, and you know more to come. Um, if people want to reach out to you, we'll put everything in the show notes, but what's the easiest way to learn more about what you're doing and follow along with Jennifer Beatles? Yeah, for agents, um, again, I would go and apply to join our referral program. Again, it's completely free. Um, so if you want access to hundreds of investors that are looking to buy right now, um, go on agentsinvest.com. If you are curious, if you've maybe found a deal on the MLS or maybe an off-market deal, but you're just not sure about the numbers, go to doorprofit.com, click the analyze any deal feature, and it will in, I've timed it about 90 seconds, you should know if it's a deal. And so go check that out. If you're an agent that really wants to get uh, into the investor side, Check us out on Addicted to ROI. We'd love to have a conversation and see if we can help you build and scale your own portfolio. So three, three, three different websites yep. do, do very different things, um, but we just love serving the investor and the agent community. I want to see more agents building wealth through real estate. All right. That's a great mission. Rory, where can people find you? I'll just give two URLs. Um, so you can find me through my real estate brokerage. That's Next Home Title Town, nexthometitletown.com, or my law practice, Urban Village Legal. That's urbanvillagelegal.com. All right. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, uh, if you can give us a rating, we love five-star ratings and we love comments. Mm -hmm. We read them all. If you want to be a guest on this podcast, you can reach out to me, Jason, at nexthometitletown.com, and we'll get you set up. Jennifer, it's been a dis uh, lovely discussion. Thank you so much. And I'm going to say congratulations on a successful conference. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's been such an honor and a privilege to be here with you today. Well, all right. The privilege is all ours as well. So thank you so much. And thank you for listening. It's been the Real Estate Law Podcast. We'll see you next time. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures. And law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town, Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.